Welcome to the Story Tinker Podcast, a place for in-depth analysis of Webtoon stories. Co-hosted by sharp, witty, and dare I say thirsty fans, we dive deep into every episode, analyzing character struggles, relationship development, and of course, theories. You can follow the Story Tinker on YouTube, podcast platforms, and social media. For bonus content, sneak peeks, and more, you can support the Story Tinker on Patreon. We are really appreciative of your likes, subscribes, and follows on all platforms. Thank you for listening to The Story Tinker, and let's get started. Yes. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 84 of Midnight Poppyland on The Story Tinker. And today we have Erin and Jen. Hey. Hi. Yes, and today is a, a heavy enough episode that it starts with a trigger warning and a disclaimer which I think is worth three. Um, the warning says this episode contains some disturbing themes. Please proceed with caution. And the disclaimer is that all mental conditions, symptoms, and coping strategies depicted in here are not meant to be seen as instructional or used as a guide. Any similarities to actual mental conditions are purely coincidental, and the conditions and symptoms depicted in here do not come with a psychiatric diagnosis or label, which is good. You know, we are all armchair psychologists, obviously. That's what we do here. But, <laughs> but yep. it's nice to, to have a grain of salt there. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely a heavy episode. And would you like to dive right in, Erin? Sure. So, we start with this beautiful uh, skyline of Naren City at night. And you can see, you can see red on the bridge uh, there. So, clearly, this is, we're picking up with Torah immediately. Um, so he is out of the car over on the side of the bridge. And I mean, my first thought was like, okay, we know that he is at least stable enough that this is, that's not the concern here of him at the edge of the bridge, but like clearly whatever happened, he needed some, he needed some air. He needed some breathing room and being stuck in his tiny little sports car was not enough room for him. <laughs> I was actually worried by the way, at some point later on, I was like, get away from the yeah. edge of the <laughs> Yeah, a little later on, maybe, yeah. But the, at first I was like, okay, he's having a moment, needs some fresh air. There's also a lot of symbolism in bridges and it, on its own, because I mean, basically you're standing at a precipice. So there, there's, a, you can tell there's a lot of something coming. You just don't know exactly what it is at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very so serious. then we go to his internal monologue. Ronzo tracked down that effer Gill with the facial recognition hack. And I spent the entire day racing across the city to chase him down. You've got his go bag in the back seat. So clearly stuff happened in theory. Um, big yeah, bro, I, was, I think. When I saw that, I was like, oh, so he wants to kill him. I was like, okay. <laughs> Like, what happens next? I'm just curious. Like, how do they cover their tracks? Like, someone dies, and then they're, like, they bury him somewhere, and no one can find him, and they're, like, just hope nobody figures it out? Like, Or, like, is he just trying to incapacitate him in some way? Like, because I I feel like if they, yeah, we know that Gil is shady AF, but, like, if they kill him now, what does that do to, like, everybody else that's tied up in this like I feel like that would almost cause more problems for giant goldfish like it would just mm. shed a whole new level of light on and scrutiny on 
Poppy on Erdine and Jacob, what were, what were Gil's dealings? Like there would be an investigation into, into Quincy because he's there, he's their biggest author right now. Like that would just, that's a whole different can of worms that they probably don't want to open. I don't know, but he, if he randomly gets shots, like even if in like the leg or the arm or something, I think that would also, I mean, he would then instigate something. Yeah, I was going to say, in this type of situation, it's probably better dead than wounded. And I hate to say it that way, <laughs> but you know, wounded, he comes back and he can like name names. Yeah. Dead, he's just dead. Um, for me, it also is like, this this place seems to be fairly well run by these crime syndicates mm. so i feel like they just bury it i mean they've already basically described in way earlier episodes having a lot of cops on the payroll so i think yeah. basically it would just disappear yeah enough people to that be they'd be able to get somebody to look the other way yeah probably and maybe he figures he was acting alone like as far as we know i don't remember him saying anything about him acting with other people so maybe he figures if he kills him probably safe but he can also probably explain it to the uh, vincent by being like well i thought he had the notebook hmm. you know mm-hmm. so he's Which he technically he does have the notebook. <laughs> i'm pretty sure he does have the notebook but we don't have actual physical verification of that yet and tora doesn't so. know that he just knows that the notebook is somewhere potentially in poppy's circle of influence right I mean, it it just, it seems very plausible to me that at this point he would just want to eliminate the threat because that seems where his head is at is eliminate the threat. Yeah. So then we've got the, the shot of, of you on his computer, big bro. I picked up his trail again, five o'clock from your position, right where you said he'd appear. And we've got that, you know, Gil pointed out in the crowd, but like, clearly there's a lot of people there. Uh, and Tora says, I see him, but he's moving into a crowd. And it took, I, so I reread this morning and my first thought was like, okay, we know that Tora's a sniper. And I was thinking like, he could be in a position, he's got the bag in the back of the car. So like he could be in position to try to take him out. But at the same time, it's still like, when he's doing all this, this is still the daylight hours. Like that seems real weird and we know that he obviously you know it's just keep talking there's still too many keep keep tailing there's still too many people in the way so clearly tor's not going to take a shot if in a crowded plaza or something like that but i was just like oh that was where i had the realization of oh shit like this is he's for real he's for he's for serious right now (laughs) and where is he like that he's safe from the you know people watching him Mm. yeah and like that's that's that game face that he's mm-hmm. got in that shot. Like that's that same dead eyes. He is yeah. so laser focused on his task right now that nothing is going to interfere with his business right now. Yeah. For this panel, I literally wrote serious eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but I also was like, okay, we're finally seeing like we got the impression that he was a sniper from the other comics, but you're actually seeing a bit of the sight in this comic so you can actually she basically is confirming yes he snipes people mm-hmm. right yeah last time it was deduction i guess yeah so then back to his internal monologue but i was always a step too late and by the end of the day his trail had disappeared which i'm sure for Tori, like 
that never happens. Like he seems like the kind of guy that always makes his mark. It doesn't matter. He will see his job through regardless, but obviously endangering tons of people in, in wherever he found Gil initially was not going to happen. But imagine Gil knows he's being followed. We know he went to a hideaway, but that could have also been because he killed his wife. But like, does he know he's being followed and that's why he's only in populated places? I mean, he did know he was being followed at some point and that's why he did the whole alarm thing. I'm, I'm wondering about the timeline in terms of was this on his way to finding his wife's body or like after he had already left there and he was now still trying to make sure that he couldn't be found again so that he could be on his creepy little way (laughs) (laughs) i think we're after the body um because it seemed like when he was there he was talking about having shaken the guys that had done it and he did shake oh god was it like two or three episodes ago he did shake off towards men he like brian lost him yeah out of that building so that seemed to be tied more to that situation um yeah that, ma- that makes more sense. right there yeah that makes more sense that they probably picked him up after he left that location and was on his way to wherever he does the rest of his shady dealings mm. yeah <laughs> And we have another another wide shot of Tora leaning over the the edge of the bridge. I don't even know what the fuck I'm doing anymore. And right at that moment, Joe's stupid voice went off in my head again. Mm. Ugh. I, I just know. you know that line where he says like I don't know what I'm doing anymore. That's uh, feels so bad for him. He just feels helpless. He's he feels so. I think he feels like so unmoored. Like he had everything in the in clan life as as clear as terrible as it was as we see later on in the episode as as stressful and as terrible as that led him down a path like it was a constant it was a solidarity in his life and now that he has been distancing himself from that and obviously all of the now he's having to deal with emotions like what the heck like all of this new stuff he I th- he's feeling very I think he's feeling very untethered he's adrift because there's nothing he's looking for something else to anchor him and he want I think he wants it to be poppy and with this whole thing with Joe's uh line from him like I think poppy is probably going to be that new anchor for him but he's not quite ready to commit to that yet like he's still in the I'm still too dangerous for her it's going to be bad but like I think he so desperately wants her to be his new anchor point that mm-hmm. he knows she will always be there. So I, I have, I do have comments, but I want to kind of get a little further before I like say, because they won't make sense at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Got them locked and loaded. Yeah. So then Joe's line, remember kid, no matter how dark it gets inside, always remember to leave a light on for yourself and for someone else to find you in there which we've heard it before he had that was it right after alice's restaurant or no it was recent it was, um, i was gonna say wasn't it in one of the joe flashbacks mm-hmm. that we got? 
it was in the alleyway i think when they were when he was doing the thing that hand yeah motion. okay yep yeah. so then tor says a light slams his hand on the railing it's so dark in here i can't even see my it's so dark i can't even see my fingers in here which like what a visual mm-hmm. my heart just melts and you can tell he's like yelling this at himself oh yeah he's beyond frustrated with himself at this point but also like the text got really big we've got all of these lines going out like and they're Mm -hmm. basically like shout lines oh yeah i mean he's he's alone on this bridge so it's being able to unload into the darkness into the universe and just this chest where he knows nobody's going to hear him. <laughs> and the and edges so- of this panel start to go dark, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ugh. And, you know, we're, we're used to seeing Tora as very capable, but here he is feeling very helpless and out of control, and it's just a different side to Tora that we, you know, we can guess that, that he has because he's a human being, but, like, to really ex- see him express himself and express his helplessness and his, his weakness is very humanizing. And, and you know, endearing, especially given, you know, his behavior last episode, we are, it's nice to see that, you know, it's coming from pain rather than, you know, like a negative character trait or just being an asshole, you know? Yeah, like you, the, the asshole tendencies are, a, I think, his default because it's something he had to grow up with. But I think we know that he's trying to be better than that. We know he's trying to grow past that as a person. So yeah, slip-ups happen. You de- In times of stress, you default to the easiest thing you can because you just want to go into autopilot. Mm-hmm. But this is, this is him now having to reconcile, I was a massive douche and now I need to try to be better. <laughs> well, yeah, that's me. I love it later with the episode, but yeah. Yeah. Oh. So after that exclamation, he's starting to pant. He's starting, he, he's breathing heavy and he says, shit, I'm spiraling again. And that forced perspective where like his head seems so, his head and shoulders seem so large and just his legs look so narrow because it's just that, that zoom angle, which just was so... It felt, it felt very cinematic. I know that's something that's been talked about on the podcast is Lily has these amazing cinematic shots and whatnot. And this feels very cinematic to give you that sense of how out of control his life feels right now. He's like bowed over by the weight of everything on his shoulders. He can't even support himself. He's leaning over, head is down. I mean, he's, he looks very defeated. And then he says, come and I couldn't tell if this was him already starting to... No, okay. Uh, so he's, come on, stay with me. He's, he's coaching himself. And, like, this whole... The discussion that he's going through in his head and, and on the bridge, it feels very reminiscent of a therapy talk that he has. It's, I think he's been to therapy. In what capacity, I don't know. But I think at some point in his life, likely more when he was an adult because let's face it as a teenager he probably was not going to be receptive to any of that he's clearly been to therapy with some of the language that he's using with himself and some of the discussions that he's having with himself but 
you know, he recognizes this spiral. Mm-hmm. He says, it's all in my head. It's all in my head. He's breathing heavy. His brow is furrowed. He is kind of physically collapsing on himself. Like you said, he's, his shoulders are hunched. He's leaning forward. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's in it. In this moment, I felt like he was full on in a panic attack. That heavy breathing, um, I interpreted as almost like hyperventilation. Mm-hmm. Because when you get into that space, and I am somebody who has panic attacks, so I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, oh, <laughs> deep breath. <laughs> Take a deep breath. I'm talk. I'm trying to talk him through it as I'm reading. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. It's no, okay. Um, but it does. Uh, for me, anyways, it feels like everything closes in on me, and everything like becomes right here. And this is all I have for space. So this image in particular for me, like was very reminiscent. And I literally went, okay, we're in full on panic mode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause the whole, everything is shadowed around him. Like his face and shirt and chest is really the only spot of color that we've gotten this whole thing like there's it's black everywhere else like he's yeah he's so in his own head right now mm-hmm. and when you said that maybe he went to therapy it's I wonder if maybe they uh the police forced him to go to therapy after he was arrested that would make sense that they would do that that's that's exactly where I figured he picked this all up from is that some uh agreement some part of his release stipulated that he had to go to whether it was anger management or therapy in general or as part of his like whether it was parole or his release from custody if they were able to to get everything swept under the rug for whatever it was that he was arrested for Mm. and then you so this this whole sequence with the the shadowed and this new text that we got coming in so you see in like super light, super grayed out text, monster, you're a monster. And that's the same font that like, I think it's, co- people have joked, it's the the murder font <laughs> in the Patreon comments. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, and a couple of folks have, have said it's Vincent's voice in his head. And I don't necessarily think it's exclusively Vincent. Yeah. I really think it's like an amalgamation of his own internal hatred. Like he, he clearly has his own internal monologue that hates himself and is very demeaning to himself because that's what he grew up with. And it's very heavily influenced by Vincent, but I think it's the two of them together. And especially with the way that the font is kind of doubled in a couple of areas, like it's, it's that echo chamber. Like he's just only hearing this. It's, echoing through his head these voices that are just telling him you're a monster and then in super shadowed in the background you deserve a second chance believe in yourself which is where that whole this is probably something he had to look at at therapy in like the waiting room every time he went well actually isn't that from yeah isn't from Alice's restaurant yes it is it's the sign that's in Alice's restaurant next to her next to her um help wanted sign Mm -hmm. okay I forgot about that (laughs) <laughs> by the way it was a total inspiration to me like if I ever own a business I want to like hire you know people who have been in prison so anywho so thank you Alice <laughs> I think it's, I'm very inspired by that 
So then again, that, that echoing, you're a monster. And we get a flashback a little bit to a conversation, bro, you need to get out of the clan, out of clan duty while you can, you're spiraling again. I'll talk to my old man. I'll say you need, I need you as my bodyguard or something. So clearly Quincy was there for him the last time. I he, love Quincy so much. I know. Uh, like mm. Quincy clearly sees him as a brother. Like he doesn't, he sees him as family. He wants to protect him like family because he, and I think there's always been a little of a, I think there's always been a little bit of discussion of like, how much does Quincy really know about the, all of the terrible things that Vincent has sent Tora to do? I think this gave us a pretty decent inclination that Quincy may not know all of the specifics, but he has a pretty, probably has a pretty good sense that Tora is, Tora does all of the dirty work. Mm. Tora's hands of everybody, Tora's hands are the dirtiest in the clan. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I also think like, it seems like from those words, like, Quincy's obviously somebody who sees a lot more than he lets on. Oh yeah. You know, we like, we look at the interactions we have with him and we're like, oh, he's such a like sweet, like he's such a cinnamon, cinnamon roll type of character. Roll. <laughs> <laughs> but he had to live with Vincent too. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we forget that. Um. And I, while I don't think he treated him anywhere near as horribly as he did Torah, people like that don't just treat one person differently completely, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I'm sure at some point, like, trauma tends to recognize trauma. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure he saw it in him recognized it and went you need help let me help you yeah I still am dying to know what Quincy's mom's influence on his life was like what we still don't know who a who his mother was and what clan she was affiliated with because we know that she was also like mafia royalty I'm dying to know like if she had any influence on his life and was she as ruthless as Vincent is or or was she maybe a much gentler presence in his life that gave him more of this compassionate side that when Vincent found out was like not my son and kind of cut her off or something like that like I like to think that she's maybe still alive but I also don't hold out hope (laughs) I feel like his mother must have been a good person because it's very difficult to grow up with two horrible parents and be a wonderful person like Quincy is. You know, right. I mean, <laughs> uh, unless Quincy is just extraordinarily, you know, good natured by nature and worked hard on himself. But like, it's, it's, I, I think he must have had at least one good parent. Or I really hope so, but I can't, she's like, you know, I know Poppy's mom is like the biggest mystery. I am so dreadfully curious about Quincy's mom. <laughs> I also get this feeling like Quincy's the type of person who would have had a nanny um. as a kid. And maybe the nanny was the one who was a nice person. Right. <laughs> right? 
exactly like if Vincent was like okay you've given me my son he's mine now thank you goodbye (laughs) but then like Vincent's not gonna raise a child like yeah he would definitely have been stuck with a nanny Mm -hmm. yeah yeah me meanwhile back to Tara (laughs) (laughs) a second chance and his, his breathing has escalated the font again has gotten bold it's a little more intense He's telling himself, I deserve a second like, chance. Closed and mm-hmm. Like he's, he is, I think, trying to will that, that negative voice out of his head. But at this point, it's kind of, he's, he's got to ride the wave. He can't swim out of it. He's, he's in this rip current. There's no getting out of it right now. Just got to let it go, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And that voice says, you don't deserve anything. You don't deserve anyone. You'll be alone forever. I know. Yeah. Weeping. You know, for me, this is like very reminiscent of when I I grew up in, thankfully, a very positive home and a loving home. And my internal script was always very positive and optimistic. And I didn't understand until I got older and met people who were not as fortunate that you can grow up with a negative script in your head. And I was like, just, I realized how, just like, it's really hard for me to change my positive script. Like I'm very naturally optimistic. The people who grew up with a negative script was very hard to change it also. And I didn't believe that people actually thought that way. I was like, I used to read about it in books and movies. I was like, oh, just dramatic for like the movie purposes. And then I realized like, oh my gosh, like I just lucked out. And like people really do experience like the things that make them think this way. And it's just so realistic and hard to see because it's yeah. like, Ton of work to get that out of your head and to change that script. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. Um, I know I mentioned that I have anxiety and the panic attacks, but I've also struggled with depression for, I'm 32 now. When I was younger, it was yeah, much worse. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's okay. But those intrusive thoughts, they come in and they get stuck in your head and they replay over and over and over. And you start to question, are they real or are they what I'm, what I've been told and they're not really how I value myself. Like you just, you get, and he used the word spiraling and it really kind of is a spiral because you get stuck in that negative place and it hits replay and it goes over and over and over in your head. Um, Especially when you have nothing else to distract you, mm -hmm. like you just, I, when I, when I get in those mindsets, it, it's like at night when you're trying to go to bed and you start to think about like the stupidest stuff that you, you know, those embarrassing moments. And then mm-hmm. I can't believe anybody like you, it, you just get so lost in your own head and it's, and because there's nothing to distract you in that moment, you just get so absorbed in it. And yeah, it just, it just, it continues to escalate. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So he's continuing to hyperventilate and he says, Bobby, help. And you can see the tears on his lashes. Like he is, and this is where I was like, he wants her to be that anchor for him so badly. And because he's never had a true, I I mean, yeah, he had Alice and Joe, but I don't think he he was young enough that it didn't register that this was, they were the, that anchor for him, you know, so he sees them as that, that helpful grandma and like that, 
you know, maybe a big brother figure with Joe, but like, I don't think he's ever had somebody that is exclusively an anchor for him. No one else. This is his person. I don't, I don't think, I mean, uh, maybe this is me prioritizing the romantic relationship or other relationships. I know in my personal life, like I'm, I'm not, um, I'm close with my friends, but like, I don't, I don't have that kind of relationship with my family. Like I would never think like, oh, my mother, I couldn't open up. Like, no, for me, it's my husband. Like, and I, I think, that, I know when I met him, it was like, it, I mean, it was a lot of wonderful, positive feelings, but like, I felt that safety. And I think that, you know, I don't think that it would be the same with like a grandma figure or Joe. Like, I mean, you're right. It was also an age thing. He wasn't ready for it at that point either. Mm-hmm. I think there's something special about like that one person who's there for you. That's, it can't be achieved with a grandma necessarily. I, I don't know. Maybe yeah. everyone has different relationships with the grandmas. I don't know. Whatever. But yeah. Um, for me, what this panel like really like said to me, a lot of the messages that we're given right now out like in the world of social media and stuff is like, oh, you have to value yourself enough and live for yourself. But when somebody's in this type of state, it's almost bored. It's for me at this point, he was not only like depressed and having that panic attack, but this was, it almost felt borderline suicidal for me. Um, And again, like bridges are where 90% of like the suicides you hear about in media are take place but it is valid to live for other people because they still need you um and I think that's a message that a lot of people aren't given um throughout life like the only reason and I hate to put it this way I had a friend who did um actually commit suicide and it just messed up my depression a lot. And then over the next year, like the only reason that I stayed alive after that was because I did it for the people around me. The people that I knew did, I couldn't put people through that funeral. And I'm sorry, I'm getting a little emotional telling you guys about this, but it, it really is like, everybody kept saying like, oh, you know, you have to feel better for you but you really, sometimes you need help to feel that way because you can't feel it for yourself at that point. So I think he's really reaching out for help in this moment to pull himself back out of that place. Mm -hmm. And she's just that first person he thought of. Because I think she's the first person that genuinely cared about him as a person saw him as more than just the scary dude who can get the job done yeah i'm 100 with you jen i think that um i agree with you i think that like while it's maybe in that in an ideal world that none of us live in it's like yeah sure you should have enough confidence to want to live for yourself but i agree like we're human beings and not only do we live for others but we live with others we need their help as well like i have a group of friends and like i don't know what i would do without them i really don't and also, yeah, and at, same thing with you. There was a period where I was very, very despondent about life and I would not want to be on this planet anymore. And I, I thought to myself the same. I couldn't do anything, not even because my husband and kids, that was not, but my parents and my grandmother. I was like, I can't do that to them. Mm-hmm. I, I, could never, I, I could never give them such pain. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, and I, yeah, I was reaching out to her. Like, this is ugh, a connection. Mm. Yeah. 
sorry, this is that point where I was telling you earlier that I like <laughs> cried for like 20 minutes after <laughs> before I could continue reading. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, and just seeing, I mean, we, at this point, let's face it, we're here because we are emotionally invested in these characters and seeing these characters that we, we love so much hurt so desperately is just as painful because like you don't want to see your favorite characters get hurt you want to see them have their we know it's a romance it's a hallmark of romance to have a happily ever after it doesn't mean they're gonna not gonna go through some dark times to get there but like seeing them go through these rough patches like you don't want them to you don't you want them to just have their happily ever after but you know obviously you need conflict for a story unfortunately I I think it's amazing like I'm you know, one of my biggest problems, I think, in my life was that I always focused too much on the happily ever after, and I never focused on the, well, I don't know if it's because I selectively tuned out media that showed people, like, romance having problems, I, I don't know, or if I, or if I wasn't presented, but I know that when I, when I met my husband and got married, I was like, oh my gosh, I met my soulmate, things are going to be great forever, <laughs> and I was just, I was so naive and so idealistic. Um, and yeah, and then now, like after you know, 12, almost 12 years of marriage, I'm like, okay, I'm so happy when I see people in relationships with conflict and heavy, heavy issues that they have to deal with because it comes up for people and it's so realistic. And like, you just can't walk around with blinders on and think that, you know, love is just something you fall into and you're going to stay there forever and everything's going to be clouds and roses. <laughs> right. Uh, like that's... relationships were not necessarily require conflict, but like you don't have to agree on everything. You don't have, like, I love my husband to death. I don't go to him for everything. There's so many things that like, I, we do not have all of the same interests. And sometimes I think it bothers him that like, I don't always want to watch whatever he wants to watch. I'm like, I don't have to love everything that you love. I have my friends that can entertain me with the things that you don't care about. And you've got your friends that can entertain you with the things that you care about. But when, when the cards are on the table and like shit's hitting the fan, I know you're going to have my back regardless of whether I wanted to watch that show with you. <laughs> yeah. But it's also like going back to what Mindy said before, like we're force fed as kids, the, the Disney perspective of love, which is you meet a man, you fall in love instantly and everything's happily ever after from that point on. And it's not. It's in the real world, we all have problems. We all have personality deficiencies. Um, and it doesn't have to be perfect, but it's still yours. By the way, my parents actually tried to warn me. My mom was always saying, <laughs> she's like, marriage is hard and you're not gonna, you know, you're not, not going to be loved ever after. She probably realized how idealistic I was. And I was like, you just have a bad marriage. <laughs> 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 But like, what was the best thing when I, my husband and I first started fighting when we had like our first big argument? You know what the first thing I thought of was? I was like, oh, Ima and Tati used to argue all the time. And guess what? They're still married more or less happily, sometimes happily, sometimes not happily. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so another was and I can I can say this here because my parents will never ever watch this but my parents are people who have been happily miserable together for the last like 30 years <laughs> but I mean I I grew up thinking that thankfully thinking that conflict was normal yeah <laughs> same I both of my parents um 
So my parents have re- are both remarried. They're both in, this is their second marriage. Um, and so as a blended family, we had a lot of differences growing up. Like it was me and my sister and my mom, my stepdad and my stepbrother. But like they've been with, they, my parents have now been married for 23 years, I think. Like both of both my stepdad and my mom were divorced very young and, ha, you know, had young kids. They met at a single parents group where they had, you know, they, everybody got together with all of their kids and could kind of commiserate and stuff like that with, with being a single parent, but also have that community. And they still hang out with like all of their friends that they met in that single parents group. But like my stepdad is very loud and Italian and came from a very big family and had this very boisterous way of doing everything and so he his his solution to a lot of things is I will just be louder than you to get my point across and my mom grew up an only child and it was just her and her mom so like that dynamic in our house was you know very you know so there yes there were arguments things escalated to shouting but like it was always done with love (laughs) Mm -hmm. yep yeah, real life exactly <laughs> the more you get the more the more you realize your parents were not as good as you thought <laughs> <laughs> and now that we've lightened the mood <laughs> yes uh, so yeah so Torah said ask he calls out to Bobby for help and and then you hear that see that alone forever and then I just like because it just fades out it's like I just heard that final echo of like forever 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 And then he hears her call his name, Tora. And I think, Jen, this is where I'm passing over to you. I think Mindy or, actually was going to do the second part. Oh, I was? Okay. I thought I was going to do the third part, but whatever. Oh. Um, I, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter who does what. But you know what? You know what? Maybe I'll do this part because I have stuff to say about it. Okay. So, okay. Go so he hears Tora, and then he has this vision. And he sees Poppy standing on the street. Now, okay, hold this in mind because this is literally a picture of Poppy on the street, which he has never seen physically, right? Keep it in mind for a little bit later. And he hears again Torah and he opens his eyes. He's like, <sighs> again, ready to see the little teardrops on his on his eyelids. And again, what he like you said, what he's like the therapy, therapeutic intonations. He says, just take long deep breaths, long deep breaths, long deep breaths. Imagine you're at the gym, imagine you're at the gym. So I'm trying to remember, is this something that he himself, because I don't remember these lines from anywhere else. So is it, I'm assuming it's something that he has told himself before. I think with the way that we've got that panel from this, from under the dock at Moonbright, I think this is what she told him when he started to freak out there. Because remember, he was saying, he was like, my heart was beating out of my chest. This is awful. I hate this. Why is, what is this feeling? He's never really been there. So I think this is what she was telling him to help calm him down. Cause that's the only frame of reference she would have. Like, she's like, I obviously you work out, look at you. I read it completely differently as more of that therapy brain talk mm-hmm. as like, okay, this is what I use to cope with the, all of this emotion that I have, because a lot of people who have these types of issues will use things like working out because, you know, as we learned in Legally Blonde, you know, <laughs> exercise causes endorphins. Endorphins make you happy. <laughs> happy people don't murder their husbands. 
so like, I think the gym is kind of his coping mechanism for like keeping this in check. Um, mm-hmm. but that's, that's just the way I interpreted it. Um, and also based on like later panels. I'm rereading through the panels, by the way. You're right. Um, yes. Poppy says it. Exactly. Right. So she says the exact same thing. Just take long deep breaths. Imagine you're trading at the gym. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was, but you're right. I forgot. <laughs> okay. I'll be right back. I have to go to the bathroom so bad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no problem. Um, <sighs> but yeah, so it's from, from Poppy. And she, he remembers other lines that she said. I feel like a stool pigeon, tough love cupcake, right? Which is actually a funnier line that she said. So it's something to help him, like we said, lighten the mood. And he looks better. Like he's still goes, he's still taking deep breaths, but the panel's already lighter. He's more erect. He's standing straighter. His eyes are open. So he's already getting a little bit better. And he thinks mm. to himself again, just take long deep breaths. And he pictures himself doing crunches, sit-ups. Right? <laughs> well, and that, that posture that he's got after he flashes back to that moon bright moment, his shoulders have already dropped down out of his ears. Mm. Like he's not wearing them for earrings anymore. So like he's clearly, he's, he's, like I said, it's, it's that riptide. He's coming out of that pull under and he's coming out the other side because she was able to, again, be that light for him. But yeah, he's, he just, the, there's relief in his face in that panel already. And the text has actually gotten smaller from the last breathing ones too. Mm-hmm. Here. Mm-hmm. Ah, so many like physical ways and, or visual ways to show what he's feeling. And again, <laughs> Lily is such a master at the mm-hmm. at micro expressions and just it, phys- oh. the physicality of her her drawings is nothing short of amazing. Like it, every time I'm blown away by how, how this such subtle nuances that you would get in say like a, a film or a recorded interaction she can convey in 2D mm-hmm. animation and 2D drawing, which they're mm-hmm. still, they don't move, but they like, you can see it. <laughs> I also just yeah. noticed like the, the first time when he says, you know, imagine you're at the gym, take a long breath, it's three times repeated. And now it's when he feels better, it's just twice repeated. That's like just showing how he's improving. Yeah. Going back to the surface. Exactly. So, you know, he, he pictures himself doing those sit-ups and, you know, he, we have a, like a picture of him, you know, crunching, which is, I guess, how he breathes at the gym. Um, because he's in that tank top in that picture. And mm-hmm. then we have um, you know, just a picture of him. He's he's not like anymore, he's like right, it sounds like he's going like the long deep breaths. So which is so smart. Um I thankfully don't like suffer from anxiety or panic attack really, but you know, I'm, I've used breathing a few times and it's it's great. So mm-hmm. and so the background in all as soon as he got past as soon as we got back past that that final breathe out from like the thinking about the gym it literally fades to white like he it's and ever the background around him in that next panel everything's back to full color I mean it's nighttime but like full color it's not that shadowed encroaching on him anymore his lights on again (laughs) (laughs) yep 
yeah, it's right. He's back, back in reality. Oh, and you would just like pan out and see him standing over, and then he like stumbles backwards because he's like he's wiped emotionally. It takes a lot of energy out of you when you're having a panic attack. Like, I'm not gonna lie, I totally will like call out and take a nap if I've been in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Oh, hell. It, when we were in the pandemic, like when I finally realized, you know, <laughs> we were going to be out of work for three months, <laughs> I had one. And then I totally, I, I did nothing but sit on the couch the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Emotional, emotional, emotions are like huge. They have a giant effect. So now we have, we go back to Poppy and we have a bit of a supernatural moment. And we suddenly her eyes like go wide, which I think we saw in the last, in the last episode. And she says, she's like, hmm, huh, hmm. And everything went black for a moment. And I felt a sudden surge of dread. She looks around. Even my hands started shaking. And she thinks to herself, Torah. It is like an echo, Torah, Torah. And then as quickly as it appeared, you no, know, et cetera. But I have to say, has anyone here read Jane Eyre? Um, not in a long time. <laughs> I think I read an abridged version in like sixth grade. <laughs> okay, so Jane Eyre is one of my favorite books. And this is like a major moment that happens in Jane Eyre. Basically, Mr. it's this love story of Jane Eyre and Mr. Rochester. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Rochester at some point is like completely broken down, devastated, depressed, and just like lost hope in life. And because him and Jane have been separated and various other things. And then suddenly he hears in his, um, no, sorry. Well, that is true about Mr. Rochester, but Jane is in a fully separate place at the time. And she is about to um, about to possibly accept a marriage proposal from a guy she doesn't really want to get married to, but for practical reasons and other things, she, she might agree. And she's about to say yes. And then suddenly she hears Jane and that, like months later she goes to she ended up she's like okay I can't marry him she looks around she's like what what you know she's like I hear Mr. Rochester I hear Mr. Rochester where is he he's obviously not there because he's like billions of miles away and she ends up going back to see Mr. Rochester and he tells her that at that moment he was despairing of life he didn't want to live anymore and he just called out her name Jane and she heard it so this is like a direct parallel this is exactly what happens you know she calls the Torah and he hears her uh all the dots are connected. But I also think <laughs> I also think Poppy was kind of hearing him because those ha 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 things were oh, like his heavy right. breathing. Okay. I was wondering. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah, that's exactly and what I was thinking. We also had that moment last episode where she's like, we don't get this in-depth bit that we do now, but where like she's like, I felt like I could hear Torah and then the moment disappeared and I got mad again so she can hear him calling back out to her as well like she can feel the connection they just have no idea what it is or that they're both having it in that mm-hmm. moment yeah uh, they are connected deep inside <laughs> oh, I know I know there's another webcomic and I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head but there's a a common trope and I I, I don't want to generalize and say it's like the Korea in Korea uh, K, K stories or Korean stories but like that 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 soulmate 
like the red thread that's your soulmate mm-hmm. like it's very much that kind of thing of like they are fated to be together they literally all that's missing is that red thread connecting them uh-huh. yeah so it's gone and she thinks herself so weird where did that come from but then it was replaced by the anger i've been stepping down all day it comes right back and mm-hmm. she has this angry look on her face and she thinks to herself he might not have meant it, but he did it anyway. And I'm so done bending over backwards so everyone feels better but me. I'm never doing this again. She's running across the street. She's like, yes, you know, we always had, there are always two sides to the story, right? Torah did things because of whatever his own reasons are, but that doesn't mean that Poppy has to take it. No. Mm-hmm. And, and I know Patty, Patty always makes the comment that, it, that Poppy is an emotion stuffer. And finally, she's, she's learning to stop stuffing them down quite as much like she clearly did because she had to like go back to work and get through the rest of her day but like so maybe like yes put them in a small box until you can deal with them but like yeah process them when you need to process them as soon as you can like don't let it just fester that's that's something that I've been working on personally like I I don't want to just let something fester and because then you get petty and then you get vindictive and that's not a good way to live your life (laughs) Right, you think you're doing favors to the other person by stuffing it down, but yeah, it comes out. <laughs> no, yeah, and it usually comes out directed to somebody who doesn't actually isn't actually the person you're mad at. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I also in a lot of these po- first poppy panels, I also notice it's really dark in these panels. Like usually, her panels are so much lighter, but yeah. with the heaviness of her emotions in these episode, this episode, we're getting a darker paneled poppy yeah i mean she also was like forced to wait till nighttime because of him so it's like yeah it's both actually nighttime and yeah like she's upset i know we see those timestamps later on in the text messages and i was like she waited i've i've waited that long for a date before she waited so long and that happened to me once never again (laughs) never again Oh, nope. I'm one of those people. If you're, if, if we're supposed to be somewhere, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely somebody who usually runs like, I I can tend to run about five minutes late or than I want to, but you know, if it's something important, I'm there. And I think she's feeling like she's not important in this too. Mm -hmm. And this is somebody who he's always on time for everything. Tor, there, there is he is a very type A personality when it comes to the things he can control because he, he wants to be in control all the time of everything. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he's like, I'm going to be there at six, and then he's not. She probably waited a l- little longer, just thinking maybe traffic. But yeah, she waited way longer than she should have, and she is way less upset with him than I would be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I would ever, I can't, I don't know if I've ever waited that long for anyone. I am the, I'm usually late, but anyway, it's something I, I've been working on a lot, so I'm getting better. But anyway, <laughs> separately. Uh, so she, now we see what, you know, her, her annoying journey, she has to take a bus to Naren City Square, and then at Naren City Square, she's running, and she's, you know, trips and misses the last bus so she's like god that was the last crap that was the last bus moment people are like are you okay she's like i'm fine i'm fine like i'll be skinned her knee which really hurts 
And she, um, you know, we see her at this intersection. It looks like she's catching a cab. And now we go back to Tora. Jen, do you want to take over? Yes. Um, and I'm actually going to point out that in these panels right before Tora, like you see her on the side of the street, but then you also see this car. It focuses in on this white car that's parked. Yeah, see, I was on the confused. side of the road. Okay, but I, at, later on, I, I at first I was confused, but like later on, I, I can see why. Like, but yeah, so we'll yeah, because I was like, the, this is something we need for later in this yeah. piece. I honestly didn't was... put it together until you just said something. <laughs> <laughs> either, I remember being confused by the cars because they didn't look like a cab. I was like, if we're trying to see that she gets into a cab, like I didn't, I couldn't tell it was a cab. But okay, right? I'm like, it doesn't look like yeah. a cab. <laughs> well, here, I, I, the reason I was paying so much attention to this is because I was looking for the cab or something like. I was like, how's she gonna get home? Like. And I'm looking at this going, Tora's got a plentiful amount of cars. Maybe he just shows up on the side of the road, you know? Right, looking Here for I red. Like, <laughs> Here I am, like, hoping, hoping that this is not going to go as badly as I think it's going to go. But then we, we come back to Tora, and he's slumped on the bridge. Um, and all you get is this big, black, undecorated shoe. <laughs> right? It was boring. Shoe <laughs> ever. Well, here's other shoes. I remember we once we once talked about all of the shoes early on when we still had <laughs> so many shoes. We talked about every shoe he'd ever worn. Wow, okay, we're a little crazy. <laughs> oh. And you get it, it pans out to this wide view of him in the next panel where you can see him, the bridge, the car, and everything. And he's just he's in this position with his head back and his knees bent, and it, it just shows all kinds of visible relief. And he says, it worked. Ha, ha, wise little Bobby. <laughs> so, like, he's still kind of in that, like, exhausted, heavy after emotion, bodily state. But he's, he's pulled himself, he's managed to pull himself out with it. And then you get the little bubble. I'll pick you up at six. You just remembered. Going back to the coffee shop. Yeah. And then you get a, a picture of him and he's got this look on his face like, I fucked up. Sorry, pardon my language, but that's definitely an I effed up moment. And he goes, shit, panic so hard I wasn't even thinking straight. Well, and I was just thinking, I just scrolled back and zoomed in. So like in that first panel we, where we get the wide shot where he's slumped against the thing and his eyes are... It's like the eyes are scrunched up. Like, I can't believe it worked. He's kind of laughing at himself. And then the, I'll pick you up at six. And his eyes shoot open. All of the laughter leaves his face. And he's like, it's, it is that definitely like, oh, shit. Moment <laughs> yeah. where he realizes how badly he screwed up. <laughs> yeah. And then in this next one, this is where I was like, oh, this is getting interesting. I there's a speed of uh, thinking bubble of like, I was so sure I'd nail the bastard in time for effing dinner with her. Christ. Oh my God, he's so <laughs> overconfident. Uh, and I, I, I just had this moment where I was like, it was like in a situation like this, like in a, if it were like a cartoon, if it were like an animated cartoon, like you would get that like quick little flash of a moment of like he comes he comes home like that 1950s like <laughs> I love Lucy kind of thing and just like drops his sniper rifle by the door honey I'm home <laughs> oh gosh 
Uh, and then in this picture, he, I mean, you see he's holding his phone now, and you see text messages from someone named Elrond um, saying, all clear, big bro. Nobody suspicious entered the building. She left the office after waiting by the road for an hour. Waiting for her bus now. We're following in our car. Orders? Question mark. An hour. An hour. I was like, you left her for more than an hour? All right. I'm like, I'll be right back. I gotta go put Archie in the bathroom. I think he saw the cat. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, so do you guys want to, who do you think Elrond is? I think it's probably Brian. Sounds like Brian. (laughs) Well, my logic is nobody is in his phone under their correct name. Like, I think Quincy is in his phone as Quincess. Poppy is in there as Bobby. Damien is effing Pinky. Pinky. (laughs) Like, I don't, and I, I Ronzo. Yeah, Gu's Ronzo. I think it's a way, because and they they were taught discussion about this in a, in another episode um i think when he was texting with damien that i think it's honestly as a way as as a protection mechanism if his if he's ever picked up again by the cops if his phone is ever searched if anybody gets his contacts list they're not going to know who anybody is because nobody's in there under their given name mm-hmm. i mean they'll probably be able to guess quincess but yeah, quincess is <laughs> <laughs> but yeah nobody's it's a, it's a protection mechanism. There's there that way they can't tie anybody to back to him directly or the clan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I honestly do think it's Brian, but I think we can't count out the fact that it could be somebody else because there's been that one guy that like at the club and at the, um, the pool hall that like hangs out with, like is in the shot with Brian and Pinky. <laughs> So I think there's another guy, Lewis. Yeah, Lewis. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Might be him. But it just rings a bell. I can't, I can barely remember people's names when I meet them. I am not remembering the guy who had one appearance. <laughs> He's not nearly as memorable, memorable as Damien was. <laughs> no. But, you know, I mean, I think it's one of the two of them, mm. you know, because it's obvious that he has a whole crew. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it could have been any of the above that he just said to follow her, you know, because it's really a scouting mission. It's not anything dangerous or like, but I also think he would have given it to somebody who he feels can take a little bit more of responsibility because she means a lot to him. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. So now we pan back out to this wide shot of Toro looking down at his phone, just standing there. He's finally gotten himself back on his feet, um, which I was very happy about. I'm like, okay, you're going to be fine now, honey. <laughs> like all the head pats for you. <laughs> um, and you get more text messages from Elrond and it's 7.42 PM. So it's already eight o'clock at night. Oh, like by the time he's getting these because he oh, he got the text at 540 and 653 in the last one and now we're now we're getting closer to eight so he's over two hours late at this point you know at Naren city square massive jam on our way here her bus just left she ran after it and tripped and fell seems like it was the, her last bus home orders question mark 
and that's like I mean I think that's the white car like that's where I made the connection to the white car on that road yeah and then at 8 33 she's on a she's I think that's supposed to be in she's in a cab now heading towards highway 35 still in the city square and stuck in another jam orders she had to wait like 45 minutes for a cab right so pissed off oh my god like it's so freaking annoying oh or it could be that it just if they're still stuck in another traffic jam because it's you know she's in a cab now heading toward the highway could it be that like that was how long it took her to find an empty cab to get in and then start that travel and and have a clear indication of which direction she was heading or if she called the cab you know it could have taken it that long to get over there due to the traffic jam yeah unfortunate and now it's 8 33 or nope sorry next one is 9 11 9 11 her cab just got on highway 35 heading towards patagrass hill but the roads are emptying out we cleared off before she got suspicious wait for your orders at the usual place oh my god 9 11 right i'm like it took you I'm like, that's a, that's a really bad traffic jam. Yeah. That's, that's some, that's, that's a big accident traffic jam and rubbernecking. I hate rubberneckers so much. (laughs) I'm I'm from Brooklyn, New York. And um, I left when I was 19. I didn't drive myself there until I was much older, but I can tell you, I have sat in the same block in Manhattan for an hour and a half, (laughs) literally the same block. So it happens. The traffic is infuriating. <laughs> um, I live I live near Salem, Massachusetts, and I used to have to take people up there for like doctor's appointments um, as part of one of my my jobs that I used to work at. And the idiot, the worst time, like it was like October twenty eighth, they booked this neuro the this neurology appointment at Salem Hospital, oh. and to get there, I had to go through downtown Salem for Halloween traffic it was literally like that except I literally I had to give up because somebody parked the car in front of me in the road oh my god and left their car in the middle of the road because it it hadn't moved in like an hour oh my god Uh. so that's like that's how I'm seeing this traffic right now. <laughs> yeah. That's like worst case scenario traffic. <laughs> and then, oh, but then we pull back out of that now that we're all like, we all hate city traffic. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually get a picture of his hand and he's rereading that. Um, or at least to me, it felt like this was like, he had to reread that text message again. Mm-hmm. and it seems like he made up his mind on what he was doing and it's 9 14 now and all he says is done for the day good job the end <laughs> that's you see like he added that a minute later so he he's regained enough composure to to compliment them which is fantastic a in terms of like okay he's composed enough but also b that he's nice enough to remember oh yes to tell them thank you yeah and it shows why he's such a good leader for those guys you know because when you 
when you're in that type of environment where everyone just talks down to you, you can see why they're drawn to him if he's telling, giving them that recognition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, if I were him, I would be like, sorry guys, I was occupied and sorry I didn't answer <laughs> because it's like been hours of him not answering him, but whatever, at least he said that. And it reminded me a little bit of when you, when he, when I think he runs into you when they're dropping Poppy home after bringing her back from Moonbright. And he's like, okay, got to go to my other job. And he's like, do you, why are you still working so many jobs? Do you need money? And he's like, whoa, whoa, what's gotten into you? Why are you being so nice to me? <laughs> but I think too, like, you know, Poppy's had a good influence on him, you know, for sure. She reminds him to be polite. <laughs> yep. Say his pleases and thank yous. Yes. <laughs> And he's still in that state where he's thinking about her because, you know, he used, he used her to help him pull him out of that darkness and that dark place. And she became that person. And so her voice is still in his head. So I'm sure that's where partially that's coming from too. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then in this next panel, we see Tora standing there and it's now tap, tap as he's going through his phone. And then you see the, the lock screen with 2115. And I am bad at military time. Erin, what time is that? Oh, that's math. <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> I'm, I literally will look at my husband and be like, you need to math that for me because I don't do military time. Oh. So I think yeah, it's time. 12 hours back. So. Yeah, it's nine. It's 915. Yeah, it's still 915. <laughs> he just sent the other text messages and he closed his phone at. He must have hit the button, um, but it says Bobby three missed calls, and then next panel just three. I would have blown up her phone by now. That little hard ass. <laughs> As we get the whole focus picture back on him, but at the same time, like again, this I mean, timeline wise, this has been what maybe maybe a month now at this point. Like he would have yeah absolutely blown up her phone and then gone and found her wherever she was. She doesn't know she still doesn't know his how he responds to stuff like that so yeah she probably called him like once an hour for the three hours she was waiting well i think she find was, out she she was. Called, only called him the first hour i don't think she once she decided she's not waiting for him anymore i feel like she wouldn't have called him i don't know i feel like she was like oh goodbye, yeah. i'm done yeah probably but also we have to remember like they this is like later in the day from like he only just saw her this morning after like that four day gap where neither of them were the brave one to text first. Exactly. So, I mean, I feel like he should kind of expect this because she's not the, the type of person who's going to reach out if you don't want to talk to her mm-hmm. or if she feels like you don't want to talk to her. And with the way things le- they left, he left her at the coffee shop, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, she tries a couple times. One, maybe he didn't hear his phone. You try again, and then you wait like 10, 15 minutes. Maybe he was away from his phone. You try again, and at that point, she's like, okay, clearly he's not interested in speaking with me. But also, there's a setting on on Do Not Disturb that if somebody calls you three times, it will actually ring. So she's like, that to me is like, well, maybe his phone's on Do Not Disturb. I'll try one last time, Hmm. you know, Yep. before I get mad, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Um, 
but then then we come back so we we get this we had this very far away image and now we're coming back in and focusing on his face and he's looking up like wait and you see the the, the question in his face the the what else did i do oh my god looks <laughs> like reading this part is like hilarious you're like oh my gosh yeah and you get i said something else to her before i left what was it as we're looking at the coffee shop scene and we're all like you said i'm not asking i'm telling oh, <laughs> oh my god and he doesn't even remember it he doesn't remember it and i actually had to go back like because it's it's been like a week or two and i looked it up and it was literally hold on i wrote it down because she like she, he interrupts her so after he said, I'll pick you up at six tonight, Poppy went to tell him that she would be working late. So six might be, and after B, he fully interrupted her and said, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. And then throws money down and says, for the coffee, don't be late. He doesn't even remember. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but that next panel with his face as he's looking at his phone, racking his brain to try to remember what he said. That is the biggest panic face I think I've we've like the biggest <laughs> oh shit. I I did I effed up so hard because I can't I know it was bad, but I do not remember it because I had tuned I had turned off at that point. <laughs> it's it's so hilarious because it's so ironic, right? It was so devastating for her and he cannot even remember what he said. <laughs> No, and it's that don't be late is I think part of why she only called him three times. Mm -hmm. Like it's it, that the way he said it to me was very like, this is how it is. This is what it's going to be. And if it's not this, it's not happening. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that might also be like the snark in my head. <laughs> but like there's pure terror on his face here of like what 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 did I do <laughs> especially where he's already freaking out that she only called him three times mm -hmm. so and then we get these um I think these are like inner thought bubbles um probably won't make a difference at this point as if it wasn't enough that I ditched her at the cafe and he's calling Ronzo. Then I had to blow her off again after saying I'd pick her up at six. Oh, and I'm like, it, and it pulls back out and you see the phone ringing and he's waiting for Ronzo to answer. Eight times. <laughs> yeah. And then we get another panel of this with also where the f is ronzo again and now i'm sitting here going oh my god what happened to my baby <laughs> like, i love you as as a character i'm like i don't want anything to happen to him my first thought was yeah oh my god what happened this time the last time he was a total red herring but at the same time like the guy literally never stops working so my guess is he's probably just at another job and not able to answer his phone because <laughs> he's serving somebody at a bar <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what my theory is when we get to the end. <laughs> yes. <Okay. laughs> so I also, like, I was doing that and I was like, is Lily, like, tricking us again? Or is it, like, 
she set us up last time as a trick so we'd be deceived yeah. this time that's what i think <laughs> i think we're totally in for it for real this time <laughs> right and then you see him go to call bobby with a pause <laughs> I'm like, i know i was so worried that he wasn't gonna call her i was like don't you dare you better call her right. <laughs> like you don't get to check it out now man like just do it just rip the band-aid off <laughs> and then you see him tap to call her and then it, it rings like four times um and you get Seven. <laughs> you get the the image of him now like walking towards i'm gonna guess he's headed towards the car because he's kind of coming towards us in the panel but in the next one he's at his car and you get just his hips and his hand on the on the um the door handle and you get come on bobby you can get mad at me later all you want um with some more rings just let me know you're safe and then we come back and we focus in on his face and you can see the the kind of worried expression there mm -hmm. and I don't know it just the image feels tense to me I can't put my finger on what it is about his body language but it feels tense that many rings I think he might who was thinking she wasn't going to answer and you get the beginning of a ring and then hello and he goes Bobby where are you now are you okay and then you get a, a bubble from her I I guess I'm in a cab on the highway. Um, very short, very succinct, like very to the point. She's not giving him any more than she, she needs to. No. And I, the way his face reads right now to me is very like, oh, I definitely messed up. <laughs> yeah, I think he's, he's picking up her tone. Oh, yeah. And then you get a, a box from, Bo from Poppy again. Anyway, I'm almost home now. And you hear him go, Bobby, what? And she interrupts with, see you around. Click. Yep. As <laughs> like, as expected. done. <laughs> Not talking to you. I, I'm I mad was, at you. <laughs> I was so proud of her. But at the same time, I'm like, let him apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, see, I don't think she's ready right now. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. And oh, that's no. an apology that he needs to make in person. Sheet, I want to see him grovel a little bit for this mm. because, yeah, this was a big misstep on his part. Yeah, this was this one was big in the in the scheme of things. This one was a much bigger mistake than he's made before. Mm -hmm. And I'm not making I, I'm not going to make excuses for him at all. Like I understand where he's coming from, but at the same time. You know, when you're in that place in the beginning, if you're not upfront with, you know, I struggle sometimes, sometimes, you know, we're going to have these types of issues, it's going to have misunderstandings and people are going to get hurt because most people can't be upfront about it. And something Poppy said when she was after the coffee shop and she was back at work and she was like, we just have to communicate. And I was like, yes, 
that's 90% of problems talk to each other. Like that's, we watch a lot of the like CW superhero shows and 90% of all of the drama in those shows is because somebody care, some characters like, I can't possibly tell anybody about what's going on. It's like, oh my God, if you just literally tell anybody what's going on, all of these problems wouldn't be happening. You'd have a team to help you. Right. And obviously he's not in a place that he can't quite tell her everything yet because he still hasn't read her in on the whole mafia spiel but like we'll get there I know we will (laughs) but also when you have trauma like that sometimes you don't realize you're having a trauma response Mm -hmm. you know so he might not even be aware of what he's doing to her with this type of thing at the moment and he still has to atone for it because he still treated her like dirt in the middle of it but I think it's something that they're going to have to have a very serious conversation about. Oh, yeah. And I really hope we get to see it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I want, like, I want her to bite him again. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we pull back and we get a full view of, like, he's small and next to his car. And you're looking out over the bridge. And when you zoom in, you can tell he's still, like, staring flabbergasted at his phone yep all right like, hung up on me <laughs> right <laughs> and then in the next panel in we get almost the same image but in big bold letters there's bzz, bzz above and i'm like the last time we saw these letters <laughs> was at poppy's grandma's house and we're it, it pans all the way in to just this view of his torso and him holding the phone and it buzzing again. And then we get that really, really awful. So I I, I was going to use the word really awful. I was going to use the word really awful image, but like it makes me feel awful because I know something bad's going to (laughs) happen. Just like the last time, a warning, highly unusual movement detected at balcony area. <laughs> and then in the next panel, it's, you see the back of him as opposed to the front. Um, and you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> yep. Okay, so can I, I theorize about what's going to Yes, yes. I totally think that this is legit this time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's Gil or someone else. I think that I, I'm hoping at least we're gonna be in for some real like action next time. Um, the porch, do you incapacitated? Because I don't think she would throw us off twice. I think that that would be too anticlimactic. Yeah. Um. I also like part of me is scared that something bad has happened to to you. But I'm also a little like Poppy is still in her in the cab right now, which means no one's at the house. Yeah, like, so who would it be? Is she going to walk in on this happening? Is Tori going to get to her before she does? Get there before she does? I is, mean, how far is he? Like, is Tora going to call all hands on deck and be like, everybody to this location? Like, who's closest? Yeah, like, where is this? We'll be at the regular place waiting for your orders. Like, how close is that to her place if they were also stuck in traffic? I was also, 
I know, so it's obviously a motion sensor, but I'm like, I know there were also, didn't he install cameras too? Whether it was not necessarily facing or were they just the motion sensors in the trees? Um, I think it was just the motion sensors in the trees. That's at least all we have confirmation of was the motion sensor. Um, and I don't think he would put a camera there because that's a little bit more of a breach of trust than a motion sensor. Even if it wasn't necessarily looking at her apartment, but like the parking lot or something like that. Like, I can't imagine that her complex doesn't have like a CCTV. Yeah, but that's something he would have had you hack into. Mm, right. Yeah. As opposed to like worrying about, it. and he probably had no to reason hack to hack in. He's it. the security guard now. Right. But they, they wouldn't have had any reason to hack into it until now. Um, but I do think that it's Gil and that he's going to try and set Poppy up to take the fall for whatever shady crap he's done. He can't pin his wife's, right? I'm like, they can't pin, he can't try to pin his wife's murder on Poppy. Like what cause would she have to murder his wife? He's secretly in love with his children. He's so, so desirable. I still, my, the last time I had, I was holding out hope that it was somehow Goliath. And I, I want to know more about him. And I know we haven't gotten like anything besides him jumping off a cliff at the end of season one. And I want to know more about this, yes. we, this little weasel. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, there, there's just, there's so many possibilities here. Because we had that conversation where, you know, Gil was talking to his wife and like, why, like, why didn't I leave you? So that way you would take the fall and not me. And he got the, that spark of an idea from her mm -hmm. um, when we first started to learn how shady he was. <laughs> but then we've also like, we don't know what pop for sure, what Poppy's connections to any sort of mafia is so it could also be someone on her end mm -hmm. she i mean she did recently go home who knows not necessarily what might have followed her back like i can't imagine that jewelry is trying to sneak into her apartment but like like probably could, not after tora basically <laughs> bitch slapped him <laughs> But like, could it be someone back from Moonbright after seeing her with Damien and Tora in Moonbright? Something that fo followed her home in the bad way. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can only think of either Gil or her mafia connections, which Moonbright maybe if it's something to do with her mafia stuff. Hmm. I mean, the only answer we have where this has any sort of good outcome that I can think of is like oh maybe like one of her aunts showed up to like stay over for a couple of yes. nights <laughs> and is out on the balcony and everyone no one else knows that they're home wouldn't that know? be a relief <laughs> I think if I have a heart to heart and she could tell him all about Tora mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> oh you know he's gonna rush in there like some sort of white knight and oh if he met um a white was it Danny and Maribel or something mm -hmm. like that? Imagine them seeing him for the first time and being like, 
He just like busts open the door. How did you get that? (laughs) (laughs) No, they'd be like, girl, that is an upgrade. Props to you. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. Anywho, well, we'll see what happens next time. I'm already, I know, it's like, is it Friday yet? Right? Right. (laughs) No, I need more. All of these cliffhangers are like keeping me on edge all week. (laughs) I know. Yep. We'll see. Thank you so much for coming on. It was so so nice. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you for awesome. having us. Thanks for having us again. Thanks for fun. Have a good night. Have a good night. Bye. Thank you so much to my current patrons: Susie, Lady Libris, Lily, Jenny, Haley, Maria, Molly, Veronica, Emily, Emily, Joe, Rochelle, Sasha, Talcos, Meg, and Rose. Priya, Alexa, Misty, Laura, Joanne, Patty, Jen, Imelda, Esther, I'm watching you towards Poppy Seed Marie, Jen, Emily, Jean, Jen, Erin, D, and Kay. Your support is truly appreciated. 